remember when I got my first phone? It was a big day. Do you remember when you got your first phone? Some of you needed time travel to figure out when you'll have your first phone, but that's a big deal to have your first phone. And I remember one of the things that my parents told me when they gave me the phone, uh, it was, uh, I was telling some of you guys about it the other day. It was not an iPhone, okay? When people my age got their first phones, they weren't iPhones. Only the really, 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 really rich kids got them because um, they were really expensive at the time. But we got, um, the first phone I got was this flip phone but it had like a little keyboard. I showed someone the other day. There, I think I showed a group of you guys back there. I showed you Rusty and Joel. Yeah, it's like a little computer, like a little laptop, except it was really tiny and really lightweight and it was pink. What? Yeah, I know. It's because I uh, actually my first one was black and then within two weeks I like broke it because I was wrestling with my brother and then I fell and it bro- it was, they broke back then. Whatever. It was crazy. Anyway, but my, I remember my first phone, the, the rules that my parents gave me for it were actually kind of interesting. What they said was, this is technically not your phone. It's technically my phone. And that was the big like, ooh, okay. All right. And what they meant by that was, I gave this phone to you. I can take it away from you whenever I choose to take it away from you. So that made sure that I was doing the, with the phone exactly what they wanted. And back then you couldn't even, all you could do was call and text and take these really, really bad two megapixel pictures. So like you couldn't do much with it, but they said, hey, if you ever text too much or if you ever call too much or go over the data, it was all weird back then. Um, If you ever did that, I can take it away from you because what you have actually belongs to me. And it was an awesome time because I felt like it was a big privilege. I I was like, so cool. I had a phone. I could text people that I wanted to. I could call people. I could call my parents. It was all really cool when I first got it because it was new to me and it was a good privilege. But I knew this, that if my parents ever said, I'm taking that away from you, they had every right to do that. It wasn't mine. It was theirs. Well, that's a lot like the types of privileges that God gives his people. A lot of them, sometimes we are tricked into thinking they belong to us And we can do whatever we want with the privileges that God gives us. But the reality is not that. The reality is it's a lot like that first phone I had, where my first phone, it belonged to my parents. And if they said, it's gone, then I had to say, okay, it's gone because it's not mine. We are studying a book here this summer, the book of Deuteronomy, which is all about a a group of people that was about to be blessed in a huge way by God. They were about to get a ton of stuff from God. And like we talked about in chapter eight, there was the temptation to think that they earned it on their own. Today, we're going to look at a text, Deuteronomy chapter eight, which basically says this, you have two paths that you can go on as you take my gifts. As you go into the land and as you try to follow me, you have two paths you can take. The first path you can take is this one, that you're going to choose to serve me, that you're going to choose to love me, that you are going to choose to do exactly what I want you to do, right? This is God speaking. That's path number one. Path number two is the other path. The path that you can take, which looks a lot like this. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to be friends with whoever I want to be friends with. I'm going to make whatever connections I want with whoever I want. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and I'm not going to listen to God. They had two options as they went into the land. And the reality is we have two options too as we respond to God's word. Are we going to follow God with our whole life, or are we going to grow up and turn away from God? That's what this passage is all about. So grab your Bible and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 28, actually. We looked at Deuteronomy 8 earlier. Deuteronomy 28 is a chapter that's all about two words, blessings and another word, curses. Blessings and curses. Now, you might think, wait a minute. We were in chapter 10 before. Why did you skip all the way to chapter 28? Like we missed more than half the book. Why did we skip that? Well, 
what's contained between Deuteronomy 12 and Deuteronomy 26 were the specific rules that God had for that, this specific group of people, these Israelites, as they were going into the land they're about to take. God was about to give them a huge gift. And it's all the instructions on, here's how I want you to use it. If we bring them back to the phone illustration, it was a bunch of instructions on how God wanted them to use the phone, so to speak, the big privilege. Right? This is how I want you to use it. And the reason we didn't go in depth into all that is a lot of those commands are very specific for their time and their place. There was a lot of commands about what they were supposed to eat, what they were supposed to build, what they were not supposed to do when they went into the land. So all these different specific instructions, we're not looking at many of those. We looked at a few of them. We looked at the big overarching ones, but now we're going to look at this. This is like the punchline at the end of the book. What are you going to do about it? He says this in chapter one, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I commanded you today, which again, a lot of that is what he just wrote about. And we find it in Deuteronomy 12, all the way to Deuteronomy 26. If you follow those rules, the Lord, your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. We'll make you guys the most important. That's what he's saying to these Israelite people. And verse two, all these blessings shall come upon you and they shall overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord, your God. So he's very clear about this. I have some things that I'm going to promise you, some good gifts I'm going to give you, Israelites, as you go into the land, but they are contingent on you doing what I say. I've got all these great promises that I'm making to this, this group of people, but the group, the nation, they're going to enjoy it, but what about you? Just like a lot, it's like today, where God makes promises to people. He makes promises to Christians, and the question isn't so much, is God going to make those promises and keep those promises to Christians? The question is, are you going to be one of those Christians? Are you going to be one of those people who obeys God? Are you going to be one of those people that lives in a relationship with God? What he's about to describe in Deuteronomy 28, if you just look at it real quick, you were looking at verse two, flip the page. Look how long this chapter is. I just want everyone to see that. Look in your Bible. How long is Deuteronomy chapter 28? 68 verses. It's a long chapter. This chapter is all about God's blessings that he's going to give to these Israelites. And it's also about this the curses, the gifts that he will take away for the ones in this nation who refuse to obey him. For the ones who say, you know what? I heard all this stuff about God, but I'm gonna live my life and do whatever I wanna do. I'm not gonna listen to God. What we have to do is we have to see what's happening here. We have to say, okay, I wanna see what happened with Israel, what God promised to them, and also how God worked out those promises throughout history, because they should have an effect on us. As we read this, you might think, okay, well, I'm not in these people's sandals. I'm not one of them. I'm not entering some land. God's not about to give me some huge gift like he was giving them. But what can we learn from this? The big thing that we can learn from this is that we need to live with a fear of God, a fear of God. Now, if you don't know what that means, right, the Bible talks a lot about the fear of God. It sounds scary, right? It's built into the word fear. Here's what the word fear of God means. You ready for it? It means that you fear God. That's what it means. It doesn't mean just that you respect God. It doesn't just mean that. That's part of it, that you respect who God is. It's a big part of it. But the reality is more than just respecting him, like you respect some really important person or some celebrity, there's a fear element involved. Just like when you come face to face with um, something like a, I don't know, this is not that scary, but a coyote. The other day, um, Alexander and I walked up and there's a coyote right next to us. We were on the golf course and uh, we were walking and I, we weren't in a cart, which is probably a bad move. We always want to golf in a cart. But 
this coyote was just walking around and there came a time where that big dog, I mean, it's not that big, but it's scary. These dogs are intense, these coyotes, where he just looked at us and we were walking right where he was. So what I did was I grabbed out of my golf bag, I grabbed my sand wedge and I said, all right, we're walking straight towards him because that was the only thing we could do. We couldn't turn around. So we start walking towards this coyote but I grabbed my sand wedge because I thought, okay, if this thing attacks me, I, I have one shot. I've got one shot to defend myself here. In that moment, I didn't just respect the coyote. I didn't just think, oh, wow, what an amazing animal. That's not all that I did. I also feared because that coyote could hurt me. That coyote is powerful. That coyote, I don't, I've never seen a coyote attack, but I believe that coyote could have done something to harm me. That is what the fear of God includes. It includes the reality that we understand that God is in control and God can do with us what he wants. And that shouldn't leave us just feeling, well, okay, then I just, me and God are on a totally great relationship. That's not how it should leave us. It should leave us with some fear, some real recognition that he's got power. He's got power to do things over us. Now, I want to look through this whole chapter, all 68 verses. But before we do, I want you to write down point number one, because it really encompasses all that we're talking about here at the beginning. And it's this, I want you to take God's promises very seriously. Take God's promises very seriously because of how powerful he is, because of how strong he is. When God says, this is, what, this is what's going to happen. If you obey me, all these great things are going to happen. But if you disobey me, all these bad things are going to happen. You have the choice to either believe him or not to believe him. Some of you have um, parents who make threats to you, um, who say, if you don't do this particular thing, I'm going to take away um, your video games, I'm going to take away your screens, I'm going to take away dessert or whatever, right? Um, and some of you have parents who make those threats, and then they just forget about them, and they never enforce the taking away the screens or the phone or whatever, right? Some of your parents do that, right? If your parents do that, what happens to you when they threaten something? You probably would say, well, you didn't do it last time, so you're probably not going to do it this time, and you probably don't believe them very much. Okay? Others of you might have parents who threaten something once, like if you don't, you know, take your, you know, clean, clean your bed, <laughs> clean your bed, what, what is it called? Make your bed, right? <laughs> that was dumb. Um, if you don't make your bed, I'm taking your phone away for a month. Okay, whoa, that's a big, you know, consequence. Some of you have parents that would say that and do that immediately. They would keep their word. Their threats to you are stronger than the threats of someone that you don't believe. Do you see what I'm talking about here? If you believe that God will do what he says he's going to do, you're going to take this seriously. But the problem is some of us will look at this passage and say, I don't think God would really do that. I'm not going to take God that seriously. We need to take God seriously. So let's look at verse three in this text. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse three. These are promises for good, actually. These are awesome promises. He said before that the promises in verse two will overtake you. They'll pursue you and overtake you. That's literally the image of like a coyote running after you and devouring you, okay? But this is all good stuff, right? It says these blessings are gonna be so awesome that in your life, you will not even be able to escape all the good stuff that God's gonna do for your life, Okay? These blessings will overtake you if you're a person who's obeying the voice of the Lord. Look at verse three. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. What does that mean? It means for these Israelites, they are gonna be blessed whether they're in the town, whether in the countryside, they're gonna be blessed all over the place. God's gonna give them great gifts whether, wherever they are, no matter where they are. Verse four. Blessed shall be 
the fruit of your womb, which means you're going to have a lot of kids and they're going to be healthy, and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Basically saying, you're going to have a lot of kids. They're not going to have a lot of diseases. They're going to be healthy, strong kids. God's going to give them these gifts and they're going to have a lot of stuff. They're going to have a lot of food. God's going to take care of them. These are all blessings for this group of Israelites if they obey God. Keep going. Verse five. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. What's the idea? No matter where you go, whether you're in this city or that city or doing this trade or that trade, whether you're a farmer or whether you're um, a cattle rancher or whether you are just a a person who's having a lot of kids, whatever you're going to do, Israelites, if you're obeying God, God will take care of you. God will bless you. He'll give you good gifts. That's what he's promising to these people. Verse seven, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated. Imagine that promise. God making this promise to you. All the people that are gonna wanna attack you, all the thieves that are gonna come in and try to steal your stuff, those people, God is gonna make it so that they run away from you, that nobody wants to touch you. That's a big promise. Keep going. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Imagine an army coming at you in one big strong army and you pushing them back and they run away in seven different directions because they're so scared of you. That's what he's promising. Verse eight, the Lord will command the blessings on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. So you have a lot of stuff. The barn was like the garage, right? The barn was where you put uh, the the horses and the animals and the food and all that stuff. It's like your garages, they're gonna be full of a a bunch of cars and uh, you're gonna be well taken care of. That's kind of what he's promising these Israelites here. He goes on, and he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. And the Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself. This is in the middle of verse nine, if you're not tracking with this. Verse nine, he says, the Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself. They'll be a special people. As he has sworn to you, as he's promised, if, see that word if? That's a super important word because God is gonna accomplish this with his people. But the question is, are these individual people gonna be a part of that blessing? God's gonna do it, but he's only gonna do it for the people who are gonna obey him. These blessings don't go away if you're disobedient. That's not how it works. It's not like God will change his mind. God has already decided he's going to do this good thing, but only for the people who obey him. It says, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, that means that you live your life for him. Verse 10, and all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and that they will be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity and the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and the fruit of the ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. Because remember, the promise for this land didn't just come up immediately, just right here. This is a promise that God made to these Israelites so far back, all the way in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. That's when he started to promise this land to them. He goes on, verse 12. And the Lord will open to you his good treasury. That's like his big bank account is what that means. The heavens to give you rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations. That means you'll have so much stuff, you'll be able to give other people money and get it back later. You'll lend to many nations and you shall not borrow. You won't need to borrow anything because you'll have everything you need and more. That's what he's promising to these Israelites. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. Nobody wants to be the tail, okay? I, some people look at this like, what does that mean? The head or the tail? And it's good to be the head. It's bad to be the tail. That's the, that's the bottom line with what that means, right? It's good to be the head. God will make you the head, not the tail. And you shall go up and not down. Everything for you is going to go up. It's going to be great. 
if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from them, from any of these words that I command you today, to the right or to the left, or to go to any other gods to serve them. Now, that's a big section, but here's what I want you to realize. God made these promises, and these promises, he's going to keep them. But did you see that word that showed up a million times? If, if, if. He says, I got these blessings if you do what I say. Now, sometimes the problem is we look at this passage, right? We look at Deuteronomy 28 in our Bibles, and we might think this. Well, what this means is, if I do good things, God owes me good things, okay? That's what a lot of people think when they read this. This is not what's happening here. In fact, he's basically saying, I'm going to give you these gifts, but I'll take them away if you don't obey me. He's not saying that they deserve any of this. He's not saying that they're earning any of this by their obedience. That's not what he's saying. All of these good things he's going to give are a gift. They're not earned by them. Verse 15 is where it takes a turn for the worse, though. It's the first time we've seen the word that, this word in this text. Is but, this conjunction, which means, okay, we're turning this around. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. It's the same idea where he said in verse two that all these blessings, all these good things, they're gonna come after you. It's like you're gonna get tackled to the ground by all these good things that God's gonna do. You won't, be, you won't even be able to escape these good things. It says in the same way, if you say, I'm not gonna obey God, which that's what this is talking about. This is not talking about making mistakes. This is not talking about occasionally messing up. This is talking about what kind of life am I gonna choose to live? What direction am I going? What path am I gonna take? This doesn't say if you mess up a little bit, um, he's going to make all these curses happen to all these people. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, are you going to be loyal to me? Are you going to say, I'm going to follow God with my whole life? Or am I going to follow all these false gods that, that are in the land? It says in verse 15, if you don't obey God, these curses shall come upon you. Verse 16, what does he say? Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field. Do you see what happened there? Look at verse uh, Verse number four, or verse number three. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Do you see the connection between verse three and verse 16? They're opposites, aren't they? In the, in the, in the city and in the field. It says, these people, they'll be blessed wherever they go, but also if they disobey, there's nowhere they can hide from God. This is like a one or the other type thing. This is not like if you do this sin, then you deserve this type of curse. This is like if you're gonna choose... To live your life, Israelites, completely set apart from me, and you're not going to live for me at all, then I'm going to give you all of these curses. Not just like, oh, it's like a menu where I get some of the blessings and some of the curses. It's either I'm going to give you all the blessings or I'm going to give you all the curses. And it's based on this, how you're going to live your life. Are you going to love God? Are you going to serve God? Are you going to live for God even when you're an adult? Or are you going to go your own path? Verse 16 says, in the city, in the field, they'll be cursed. Cursed will their basket be in their kneading bowl. They'll be cursed in the fruit of their womb, in the fruit of the ground, in the increase of your herds, in the young of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. Do you see that connection? That's exactly the same language in verses 3, 4, 5, 6 that we see here in 16, 17, 18, and 19. What's the point? If they don't take God's word seriously, if they don't take his promises seriously, then God's going to have to prove it to them by judgment. When your parents give you privileges and then take them away, they have the right to do that. 
You can't say it's wrong for them. You can't say it's unfair. You can't because it's theirs, if it's theirs, right? All of these blessings that God's going to give these people belong to God, and he can do with them what he wants. And if you notice, verse 16 to verse 19 is actually a reversal of all the good gifts that he's given them. I'm going to give you all these good things. You're going to have plenty of everything. The curses are, I'm going to take all that away from you. It's going to be worse than if you never got it in the first place. Well, how does this connect to us, right? You might, be, you might have already been thinking that. You might have been thinking that the whole time. Like, wait a minute. But none of these promises for like getting a big house and um, having a lot of stuff in my barn, right? I don't even have a barn, right? None of this even applies to me. Well, be careful with that because I think there is something that applies to you here. If you don't take God's word and what it says about our blessings and curses seriously, then you'll be in a lot of trouble, okay? There's a passage in the New Testament that talks about this, 2 Peter chapter 3. I want you to write that down, 2 Peter chapter 3. Here's what it says. It says, there are some people right now who go around in the world saying this, God will never judge my sin. God will never judge my sin. He'll not, no, I'm totally accepted by God. You might ask them, what do you mean? Do you mean you've repented of your sins and trust in Christ and you're saved because you're in Christ? No, 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 because I'm a good person. Because what you think is wrong or I don't think is that wrong. I think everything's good. God will never judge my sin. And further, you guys talk about Jesus coming back. Jesus is never coming back. That's what a lot of people say. And in 2 Peter 3, that's what they are saying. And Peter says, be careful when you listen to those people. Don't be persuaded by those people. He says, this is now my second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring you up in a sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. It means a couple things. Remember what the Old Testament said about God, promised, God and his promises of judgment. Remember that. When people say God's not gonna judge the sin of the world, just remember this. God made promises in the Old Testament. And guess what else God did? God fulfilled those promises. He made promises. He said, I'm going to take you Israelites out of the land. And guess what? He did that. He said, you're going to be blessed in all that you do. But if you turn from me, you'll be cursed in all that you do. God fulfilled those promises. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. That's why you should trust him. That's why you should take his promises seriously because he proved it. Verse three of that passage, this is 2 Peter 3, 3 says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come. That means people who, scoffing means to like, to mockingly like joke about something. Oh, there's no way that's going to happen. That's what scoffing means. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were, as they were from the beginning of creation. Basically saying, God doesn't care about what happens here on earth. It doesn't matter. You can live however you want. It doesn't matter. Everything, people live and know the wicked don't get punished and then people just die. Just live however you want. That's what these false teachers were saying. That's what a lot of people in the world will say to you. It doesn't matter how you live. God doesn't care about that, okay? Here's what Peter says. They deliberately overlooked this one fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water, through water, by the word of God, which is a big statement, which basically means God made everything. And by that means, and, and, by, and that by means of these, the world then existed was deluged, which means flooded with water and perished. Which what that means is there was a time, you might remember as the days of Noah. You remember the days of Noah? Remember what happened with Noah? What did Noah, what did Noah do? He built an 
ark, a big boat, right? An ark. He didn't have a good ark. Not, not like Nick Barnett has on the basketball. He shoots just straight. You know what I'm talking about? Joel has a good ark. I don't have a good ark. That's a basketball joke. Noah, what did Noah do? Noah built an ark, okay? Why did he build an ark? Well, because God was going to flood the world. Do you know what those people thought right before the world was flooded? Do you know what they thought? Do you know what kinds of things they were saying? God doesn't care what's happening here on earth. I can live however I want. Nothing ever changes. It didn't even rain back then. Noah said to them, hey, it's going to rain. They said, what's rain? What are you talking about? Noah says, water's going to come from the sky. Oh, water's going to fall from the sky, huh? That's a good one. Good joke. Thanks, Noah. And Noah says, no, no, seriously, God said that water is going to come from the sky and it's going to be so much water that you are going to die. You're going to drown. And they're like, okay, crazy person, that's never going to happen. Until one day that did. So much water that it wasn't just like it started sprinkling. The Bible describes the, the waters above and the waters beneath kind of joined in this weird way that we don't even totally understand. And boom, the world was flooded pretty instantaneously. And the only people that were saved were Noah and his family. The people that everyone thought were crazy for building a, a boat when it had never rained before. Second Peter 3 says, By the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire and they're being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But with God, one day is like a thousand years. It's like saying to the people who think, well, if God's going to judge me, well, every time I do sin, why doesn't God just like lightning strike me? Right? You ever heard people say that? Like, oh, if, I, if God's real, then why doesn't he just strike me dead with lightning? Oh, see, he didn't do it. He's not real. Okay. This verse is for those type of people. He says, don't overlook this one fact. You think that it's been a long time that God has not judged the world. You're right about that, but just know this. It's not that God is taking a long time. It's that his slowness, that you count slowness, is actually his patience. Verse 9 says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And here's what we're getting at tonight. The reason God has not judged the world is he's waiting patiently and he wants people like you to repent. And he's drawing people like you to repent. That's why some of you have been convicted over your sin and you know, I, I'm not right with God. I need to turn from my sin. I need to live for him. I, I've been on the path of, of me, me, me. I need to get off that path and start following God. He says, yeah, that's why the judgment hasn't come yet because God is graciously and kindly being patient so take his promises seriously of blessing and cursing. But I also want us to look back to this chapter in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28. And I want you to hear, I want you to hear the curses that God's going to bring. Because all we talked about was the reversal of the curses. What I want to do is just for a minute here, read what this has to say. Because if you put yourself back in the sandals of the people that heard this, remember they weren't reading it with their eyeballs. They were listening to someone talk. They were listening to someone explain this and just read it out. So before you do that, I want you to write down point number two. Be warned by God's righteous wrath to obey. Be warned by that. Be warned by his wrath. And it's not an evil wrath. It's not God being mean to people. It's not God being unfair. It's righteous. It's the right thing that he's going to do to this world. It's the right thing he's going to do in this text as we're about to read Deuteronomy 28. We're going to see what it says in a minute here. But even before you do that, I want you to write down and think, okay, what God's about to do is good and righteous. 
I want you to hear these curses because they are warnings. Just like if your parents were going to tell you, hey, I'm giving you this awesome privilege, but just know this. Here's a warning with this. If you misuse something like the phone or when you're older, a car or something like that, just know this. If you misuse it, I'm going to take it away from you. And it's going to be worse than never having it in the first place. That's what he's saying. Okay. So you might be thinking, well, why? This is about to sound really mean, what we're about to read. Why is it here? Why does Moses say this? He says it because he wants to give it in as strong terms as possible. Please, this is the same thing I say to you. Please do not choose the path of doing whatever you want to do. Please don't do that. Moses is saying that to these people. Please don't do that. Because he's about to show them a glimpse of what it looks like, what the end of these people is going to be if they don't obey God. Some people have looked at Deuteronomy 28 and say, this is one of the scariest chapters in all the Bible. And it might be true. So you're about to read one of the scariest chapters in all the Bible, but I want you to buckle up. I want you to, everybody, take your Bibles. Deuteronomy 28, verse 20. We're going to read this together. We're going to read it all the way through. Deuteronomy 28, 20 says, The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perished quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you. Pestilence means sickness or disease. He'll make the pestilence stick to you until it has consumed you off the land that you're entering to take possession of. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation, fiery heat, and with drought, and with blight, and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. And the heavens over your head shall be bronze. The idea of there's, imagine looking up at the sky and having no, nothing coming out of it, no rain coming out of it. That's what the, iron, the, the sky being bronze means. From, du- from the heavens, dust shall come down until you're destroyed. Not water, the, the rain that you want, but dust. Verse 25. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. This is all the curses. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your dead body shall be food for all the birds of the air and for all the beasts of the earth. And there shall be no one to frighten them away. They'll just keep eating their bodies. Verse 27, the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. And you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness. And you shall not prosper in your ways. And you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually. And there shall be no one to help you. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall ravish her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not enjoy its fruit. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat any of it. Your donkey shall be seized before your face, but you shall not have it restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, but there shall be no one to help you. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, while your eyes look on and fail with longing for them all day long, but you shall be helpless. A nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground in all of your labors, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually, so that you're driven mad by the sight that your eyes see. The Lord will strike you on the knees and on the legs with grievous boils of which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. 
the Lord will bring you and your king, whom you set over you, to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. Basically, he's saying, you wanted to serve those other gods? You get to serve those other gods in the lands that you are getting sent off to. Verse 37. You shall become a horror and a, and a proverb and a byword among all the peoples of the earth where the Lord will lead you away. You shall carry much seed into the field and gather in little, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them. You shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them all. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territories, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for the oil shall drop off. You shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. Basically saying your sons and your daughters, they're going to be slaves of other people. They're going to be taken away. The cricket shall possess all your trees and the fruit of your ground. The sojourner who's among you, he shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you will be the tail. Verse 45. All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you're destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all these things. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth, like a swooping eagle down, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you're destroyed. Shall also, it, shall also, it also shall not leave your grain, wine, or oil, the increase of your herds or the young of your flock until they, are, until they have caused you to perish. This nation, they're going to come on and they're going to besiege your walls. They're going to come in and they're going to try to take down your walls until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted. Important thing there, in which you trusted. They trusted in their stuff. Those things, they're going to come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout the land, which the Lord your God has given you. It's all a gift, but God's going to take it away. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb and the flesh of your sons and daughters whom the Lord your God has given you. In the siege and in the distress with which your enemies shall distress you. The man who is most tender and refined among you will begrudge food to his brother. He'll steal food from his own brother and to the wife that he embraces and loves and to the last of the children whom he has left. He's gonna be so hungry, he's gonna steal everybody's food so that he will not give them any of the flesh of his children whom he's eating because he has nothing left to eat in the siege and the distress with which your enemy shall distress you in all your towns the most tender and refined woman among you who would not even venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because she's so delicate and tender. She will be grudged to the husband that she embraces to her son and to her daughter, her afterbirth that comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears because lacking everything, she will eat them secretly in the siege and in the distress with which your enemies shall distress you and your towns. If if you are not careful to do all the words of this law 
that are written down in this book that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. Then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. And he will bring upon you all of the diseases of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Every sickness also and every affliction that is not recorded in the book of this law, the Lord will bring upon you until you're destroyed. Whereas you were as numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left few in number because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And as the Lord took delight in doing good to you and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And you shall be plucked off the land that you're entering to take possession of it. And the Lord will scatter you, the worst thing. He'll take them and take them out of the land and scatter them among the peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations, you shall find no respite. That means no break. You're never gonna get a break. And there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You always think, I could die today. Night and day shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. And in the morning, you'd say, oh, I wish it was nighttime. I wish it was the evening. And in the evening, you'd say, oh, if it was only morning, because of the dread of your heart that you shall feel, the sight that your eyes will see. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promise you shall never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no one who even wants to buy you. Verse one of chapter 29. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he made with them in Horeb. Now, that's why that chapter is so scary Because as you you read it in whole, what you think is, wow, God is taking this seriously. His wrath is real, and he's taking this seriously. We need to take it seriously, of course. But also, there's something for us now, because you might think, well, there's no covenant that I can break by, like, not obeying in a land, because I'm not in a land, I can't get kicked out of it. So what about me? Well, the New Testament has some things to say about you and how you deal with God's wrath. The truth is we all deserve God's wrath because the New Testament is very clear that we all deserve these curses right here. When we choose to disobey God, when we we go our own way, what we deserve is we deserve to have all those curses. I mean, think about how terrible those curses were. No safety in your homes. People robbing you, taking your stuff, killing your family, turning people into slaves, having people eat their own children. Like that's what Deuteronomy 28 says. That's horrible stuff. But the reality is, what you need to see is that's righteous wrath. That's right for God to make all that happen. And for us, that's really hard to see. We look at that and say, oh, what an evil chapter. This is not an evil chapter. This is God doing what's right. Now, what about us? The New Testament says that if we hear the gospel, the good news, that we can be saved from our sins and from the wrath that we deserve, Because the wrath that the New Testament describes for people like you and me who don't turn from our sin is not exactly like this Deuteronomy 28 wrath. It's more like this, what Jesus said, a place called hell, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, something that's far worse than these curses here. Hebrews 10 says, if we hear the good news about that, 
if we hear that we can be saved from our sins, but we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But what we should be expecting is a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 31. I'll keep reading. Verse 28 in that passage says, if anyone set aside the law of Moses, if anyone took the book of Deuteronomy and said, nope, I'm not gonna follow the book of Deuteronomy. It says, if anyone did that, they would die on the evidence of two or three witnesses. If these people said, yeah, they said they don't wanna serve God anymore, then they'd be put to death. That's what they deserve. Verse 29 says, how much worse punishment do you think would be deserved of this person? The person who tramples underfoot the son of God. The author of Hebrews says, if you hear the gospel, the good news that you can be saved, all the curses that you deserve for your sin, Jesus can take those away. Author of Hebrews says, if you hear that good news and you say, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I reject that. I'm not following God. I'm not submitting to God. I'm not turning from my sin. If that's what you choose to do, says that's, it's like you're taking Jesus and stepping on his dead body, trampling underfoot the Son of God and profaning the blood of the covenant and outraging the spirit of grace. Verse 30 says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing, not just for them, for us. If we know the truth, that we can be forgiven and saved from our sins, and we say, I don't want to follow Jesus, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Here's why it's important for you to know Deuteronomy 28, because you know the God of Deuteronomy 28. That you know that same God is just as serious about sin today as he was back then. And the author of Hebrews says, it's, it's like it's even more serious because we've got Jesus involved now. You might say, well, this point doesn't just say be afraid of wrath. It also says be warned by it so that we will obey. Jesus talked about what it looks like to obey correctly. He said it multiple times. One time he said it in John 14, 15. He said, if you love me, here's what you're going to do. If you really love Jesus you'll keep his commandments. That's why when people say, oh, I love Jesus, but they live lives that go against everything Jesus said, they're lying. They don't love Jesus. But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll, you'll do what I say. You'll keep my commandments the best that you can. Not always perfectly, but yes, you will keep my commandments. The next chapter in John 15, he gives an illustration. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Can you imagine a vine in your head real quick? Can you imagine what that looks like? You might've seen them maybe in Temecula or out somewhere, maybe up in Northern California. There's all these big vineyards with the rows, right? They've got these little pegs and they kind of attach, right? That didn't make any sense. It's like, it's a vine, right? It's like a branch, right? He says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. You're extensions of me, Jesus says to these disciples. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit is taken away. And every branch that does bear fruit, the vine dresser, we think that's God, he prunes so that it'll bear more fruit. He goes on in verse five, he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Whoever abides in me, that means if you remain in a good relationship with Jesus, he it is that bears much fruit. It's only the people 
that have a good relationship with Jesus, they're the ones that are bearing good fruit. They're the ones that are doing the right thing. Then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Unless Jesus is empowering your obedience, then you're not going to be able to do anything for him. Verse 6 says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers. And those branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. I think that's what he's talking about. It's the same thing as Deuteronomy 28. If you are a person who does not have a relationship with Jesus, you'll never obey. And what he says is, if you're a person who never obeys God, you're, you're never going to be a person that can escape what God has. So what's the solution? Because I hope a passage like this, especially looking at Deuteronomy 28, I hope it's so serious that you're thinking, okay, I want to make sure I'm not in that camp. I want to make sure that I'm not like one of those people. Because as we said at the beginning, right, you got two paths for you to take. Either you're going to take the path that ends in Deuteronomy 28 curses, or you're going to take that path that ends in blessing. But what does that look like for you today? It looks like you abiding in Christ. It looks like you having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the only way for you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ is to turn from your sins to say, I don't want to live for that stuff anymore. And I need to trust in Jesus. I'm asking Jesus to forgive me of my sins. And I'm trusting that he takes the curse away from me. Because that's the good news of the gospel, that he takes this curse away from you. Point number three, love for you to write this down. Turn to Christ to take away the curses, to take the curses in your place. Turn to Christ to take the curses in your place. I use that language because the New Testament uses that language about Jesus when he's talking about the curse of the law. I think when most of the time in the New Testament, when the phrase, the curse of the law is thought of, Deuteronomy 28 is probably the first passage that would come to mind of the apostles, usually. Galatians chapter three says this. It says that all who rely on works of the law, anyone who thinks they can earn their way to God, they are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So if you fall short, of this law, which you do, and I do, and we deserve to be in this group of people who are cursed, if that's what we deserve, which is the truth, you can never get out of that by trying to be a good person. You can't say, I'm going to obey now. No, if, if you've already broken the law, if you're already a lawbreaker, you're already in the wrong category. God needs to move you out of that category. That's something God has to do. Verse 13 in that passage says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. If you think about Deuteronomy 28 and all the terrible things that happened there, one thing it should remind you of is that's like a lot like what Jesus went through for me. Here's why I say that. Because as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You know where you find that? Book of Deuteronomy. You're cursed if you hang on a tree. That was the, the symbolic thing. What did Jesus do? He hung on a tree. He was beaten and stripped, and humiliated, and spit at, and yelled at, and screamed at, and mocked. Everything was taken away from Jesus. He experienced the curse that you and I deserve. All those things that we read. You're thinking, I don't want to experience that. The truth is, Jesus experienced the curse that you deserve, and the curse that I deserve. That's why Galatians 3.13 says, he redeemed us from the curse. Verse 14 says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles 
so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith, that we can have a relationship with God forever. The only way for this curse to be taken off your shoulders is if it goes on someone else's. Jesus offers to forgive your sin. If you believe in him and trust in him, he will forgive your sins. Ephesians chapter 5 says that you should now, if you're a person who does believe, right, maybe I've been talking to someone who used to be under the curse of the law, but now, okay, now I'm right with God because I believe and I trust and I have repented. Okay. Ephesians 5 says, just know this. Please don't join in with all the stuff in this world that Jesus is going to come to judge. Here's what the passage says. Ephesians 5, 6 says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, a whole list of sins, just in the two verses earlier, because of these awful sins, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The next verse says, therefore, don't join with them. Don't join in their sin. If you're going to be a person who says, I want to live for God, I need to trust in Jesus for salvation. That's it. I need to repent of my sins and say, I'm going to live for God. That, that's it. Not, not for me anymore. I'm going to live for God. I want that, that blessings to overtake me, like it said in verses 1 to 14 of Deuteronomy 28, not the, the back half of that chapter, the curses. I said at the beginning but that um, it's important for us to hear this warning and to take it. Sometimes we hear warnings and we don't listen to warnings. Remember one time, have I ever told you the story of the time I uh, almost died? Have I ever told you that story? You eighth graders maybe? Never told you this time. This is the closest I was to death, probably, um, or that I know of, at least. I was in Hawaii. Would have been a bummer if I died on vacation. I was in Hawaii, and my family rented mopeds. You know what mopeds are? Those uh, like mini motorcycles. But my dad has a motorcycle's license, so he can get a, a bigger motorcycle. So I had a small one, but he had a big one. So his could go faster and all this stuff. We, we took it around the, the edge of the island of Maui. So we were on these roads, and they're kind of like mountain roads, but they're on the cliffs of, of Maui. And um, because he had the faster bike, and I had the slower one, he always just kind of went ahead, and I was following behind him. I was just kind of trying to keep up. And then one time we stopped, and he said, why don't you go ahead? And I said, oh, sweet, cool. Yeah, I, I can do that. And he said, hey, um, be careful you don't go too fast, though. And I said, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, all right, I'm fine. I went too fast. I, um, I was going, I'd really only ridden for like probably two minutes until I crashed. From when I took over to when I crashed, it was very quick. Um, we're going down this, this mountain road and it's twisting and turning. And, you know, it's like basically one side is the cliff and certain death and the other side is the cliff that kind of goes up, right? Um, it was one of those like zigzag ones where you can kind of stay on the middle of the lane and kind of switch back and forth, right? If you see what's ahead of you. Um, I did that and I kind of came in towards the mountain. And when I came in towards the mountain, there was a, a set of, of rocks that I wanted to get away from. And right next to it was this like loose gravel that was kind of in the road. It was like a red stone. It's kind of what the, the, the hillsides are made of there. It was this red clay mud and I hit it. And right when I hit it, my front wheel comes out from underneath me 
and my bike is off to the right side of me. I'm going like 30 miles an hour or something, and I just go bang right into concrete, and I roll and hit and roll and hit. And it felt like I was doing that for a long time, but it probably wasn't that long. And then I get up, and I didn't die. So that was good because I actually fell towards the mountain instead of away, like towards the cliff. We would not be having this conversation if I fell towards the cliff. Um, but it was terrible. Like ripped up my arm. It was all black and just gross in there. And the worst thing, I still have a scar. I won't show it to you, but um, it's all up my back. I have not like all the way up my back. That was dramatic. But like there's this bad rug rat, like just horrible road rash scar. I think I got rocks in it that stayed in there for a while and I never took them out. So there's a bunch of bumps. It's just weird. Um, it's a scar. It's kind of cool. Um, but I went down and you know what I, you know, you know what I thought? I thought oh, I should have just like listened. You know, like right when you hit the ground, you're like, he said, don't go too fast. I went too fast. I was almost as nervous to face my dad when he said, don't go too fast, where he was about to have an I told you so moment with me. I was almost more afraid of that than I was of whatever just happened to my body. But here's the thing. I couldn't tell him, you didn't warn me about this. I couldn't say that because he had just warned me. And yeah, I, I paid for it, right? It hurt really bad. I remember getting in the shower and just feeling the uh, just crazy stinging of like, it just felt like it was on fire and just not going away. And it was just terrible. And I remember that whole, the rest of the trip, you know, you're on vacation, you're in Hawaii. So now it's like I was benched from a lot of the stuff that I wanted to do. And it was terrible. I definitely paid for it um, in my health, but I, I couldn't say that I wasn't warned. I couldn't because I was. Wherever you are at with understanding the gospel and understanding God's wrath, um, one place that you cannot be any longer is this place to say, I wasn't warned. You, you're not there anymore. You have been warned. And that's the whole point of Deuteronomy 28 is to warn people, don't disobey God. Don't choose to live for yourself. You need to choose to live for God. Can't say you weren't warned. I want that warning to not be something that just scares you and then you forget about. I want that warning to be something that drives you to say, I'm repenting with my whole life. I'm gonna live for God now. I'm gonna trust in Jesus who took the curse in my place because I don't wanna experience that curse. Good news is Jesus promises to answer you when you call on him. He promises to forgive you of your sins, something you don't deserve, something I don't deserve, but God graciously gives. Let's pray. God, thank you for offering this to us. We just pray that tonight as we consider your wrath, as scary as that was to just read Deuteronomy 28 and how intense that was, we know that your wrath is good and holy. We know that the problem is our sin is so bad. We deserve horrible things from you. Just pray that those of us in the room that are kind of on the fence about this, who want to be Christians and want to be saved, but also want to live for themselves, I just pray that this would push them over the edge. And I pray that you'd use this warning tonight to say, I want to follow God. I don't want to do whatever I want to do. I want to serve God. I don't want to face these curses. Jesus, we're thankful that you became a curse for us, that you were punished in our place. Pray that tonight as we think about these things and talk about them in small groups, I pray that you would help us understand more about this and I pray that you'd help us understand where we are at. If we are not right before you, I pray that tonight would be a night where we really start to consider that. 
pray for those of us who are right with you. I just thank you that you became a curse in our place, that we will never have to experience this condemnation and the judgment that we rightly deserve for our sin. We, we get to escape it because of Jesus. Thank you for that. Pray that we would live lives that are obedient to you, that we would abide in you, and we'd bear a lot of fruit. Pray these things in Jesus' name.